Hey everyone, I'm Brexton Bennett, a 20-something-year-old college student and entrepreneur trying to figure out how to design a meaningful life. Thanks for joining me on the Rise by Lifting Others podcast. This is where we set out together to figure out what it takes to live a life full of meaning and service. We do this by picking apart the details and stories of incredible people who have shown us the way. I'm really glad you're here. You can't connect the dots looking forward. You can only connect them looking backwards. So you have to trust that the dots will somehow connect in your future, and that will make all the difference. Even if it's all your lot to be a street sweeper, we sweep so well that all the hosts of heaven and earth will have to pause and say, here lived a great street sweeper who swept his job well. We're going to do whatever it takes to get somebody out, to save their life, that others may live. along the way, we must learn that that is nothing greater and to do something for others. This is the way I've decided to go the rest of my days. That's what I'm concerned about. Guys, today is an exciting day. We have with us on the show Professor Jim Stice. Now, at first I was really hesitant to do this because I don't want it to become a thing where I use rate my professor to introduce the guests on the show, but I was thinking about it and it just, I can't think of a better, what better way to introduce somebody onto a show for college students and young adults than with the praise that our guest has received from those same college students. So to give you an idea, Professor Jim Stice is a professor of accounting at BYU. And I just have to share with you some of the incredible reviews, what people like you have said about him on Rate My Professor. Here's one. Professor Stice is the best professor slash teacher that I have ever had, ever, period. Do everything you can to be in Stice's class. I am sad that my time in his class is over. Another one, Professor Stice is hands down my favorite professor thus far at BYU. His class is very tough, but so worth it. He is truly a world-class professor. Now this one, this is very telling of the interview we had, and I especially like it. It says, so he teaches Accounting 310 is what it's called. It says, Accounting 310 is a nightmare. But hard is good. I learned so much from Professor Stice. And even though his class was the hardest I've taken, it was also my favorite, which I thought was really interesting. So Jim's more formal credentials begin with a PhD in accounting from the University of Washington. And since obtaining his doctorate, he has taught as a distinguished professor of accounting at Brigham Young University for 33 years now. He's served as associate dean of the Marriott School, and he's been the recipient of a lot of awards, both from students and from faculty, the most noteworthy of which is the university's highest teaching award, the Miser Excellence in Teaching Award. Apart from BYU, Jim has taught in academic and executive education programs in the U.S., Europe, South Africa, Singapore, China, just to name a few, for companies like IBM, Bank of America, and Ernst & Young. Now, Jim will be the first to tell you that he has become an expert in what most people consider a very boring subject, <laughs> but he likes to consider that his advantage because most people go into it with low expectations. And he thinks that that gives him the competitive advantage to blow their expectations out of the water. So if in listening to this introduction about an accounting professor, your expectations have been set in any way low, I invite you to prepare to have your expectations blown out of the water because we all have so much to learn from Jim Stice. So without any further ado, Let's welcome onto the show, Jim. Thank you so much for being here today. Braxton, it's my pleasure. Jim, I want to start with question. I want to know about your 
early education. So I've done a little research and you received your bachelor's, your master's and your PhD all in accounting. So one would be tempted to assume that Jim Stice came out of the womb holding an abacus, that accounting was from the very beginning, the goal. Was, Was that the case that accounting was always the vision from as long as you can remember? No. Uh, my dad, my dad was a statistician and he got into computers when computers were new. Okay. So I grew up in a quantitative household, but I didn't know accounting existed until I was a senior in high school. And my dad said, why don't you take this accounting class? And really, I had no idea what accounting was, but he, my dad recommended it. So I took it and it took me that long to fall for it. Really? I knew, I knew within a week, this is, this was for me now. And so I, accounting, I, I got it. Sorry. Accounting isn't the most romantic of, of subjects. What, what was it that made you fall for it so fast? Well, romance is in the eye of the beholder. <laughs> that is true. You know, it's, uh, it just made perfect sense to me. It, it, uh, it just, it just captured me. I love the, the systematic nature of it. I loved what you could do with it, the information that was available. So I just, I just was very, and I was good at it. It's nice. I tell my students all the time, you got to be good at proficient and passionate. Mm. When you're selecting a major, you got to be proficient and passionate. And uh, I was excited about it and I was good at it. There you go. I've met a lot of students who are excited about accounting, but aren't good at it. Mm. Don't major in accounting then. And I've <laughs> met a lot who are good at it, but aren't excited about it. Don't major in accounting then, because there's something out there that you're both good at and excited about. And it turns out, in, as a senior in high school, I found something that I was good at and I was excited about. So interesting. I knew I knew when I was a senior that I was going to major in accounting. And you never looked back. Would you say when you, I, I like this advice. I think this is interesting, proficient and passionate. And so to a student who says, well, I, I don't know what that is yet. Your advice then would be to keep looking. Don't give keep up looking. because there's something out there. Yeah. Your major is looking for you. You've mm-hmm. just got to go find it. I've met students who say, I'm going to major in accounting. And I say, how did you do in your first class? Well, I haven't taken one yet. How do you know if you're good at it or you're even going to like it? Interesting. Uh, go find it. Your major is looking for you. You just need to find it. And when you find it, you'll say, man, I like this stuff and I'm good at it. Well, there's your major. And you just know. Steve Jobs yeah. gives a speech where he talks about when it comes to all matters of the heart, you'll know it when you find it. He talks about that same That's look right. for what it is that makes your heart sing, I think is what he calls it. And, and the problem is when two things make your heart sing. Mm. I mean, that's a nice dilemma to have. But let's suppose I like accounting and I like finance. Well, now I've got to pick a major. Mm. Nice problem. Have, have you had that problem? I have not had that problem. Hmm. So what do, you, what do you say to a student who has had that problem? Just pick. Just pick one. Okay. Yeah, just pick one. So one of the questions that I actually had written down, and I was thinking of getting to later, but that's really speaking of the same thing. I talk to a lot of people who are two, sometimes even three and a half years into a major. And they say, you know, I'm really not that excited about, I've, I've done enough that I've realized this really isn't what I want to spend the rest of my life doing, but I'm already this far in. I've invested so much into it. 
should I really change majors again? At that point, would your advice be absolutely your chance if keep, keep looking or what would you say to somebody in that scenario? Well, there's a lot of factors that go into play there. First of all, it's expensive to hang around yeah. and keep pursuing an education. And it turns out, and uh, a lot of young people don't understand this, you don't have to spend your life in what you majored in. Okay, that's important. I majored in accounting, but I've done education for 32 years. Hmm. So I majored in accounting, but I'm not an accountant. Turns out I found something else I was good at and passionate about that was consistent with my first passion, which was accounting. Hmm. Turns out I, I found out that I love to teach. Yeah. And so I, I took my accounting knowledge and used that to become a teacher. Interesting. Well, so a dip- I want to go, go I want to kind of break that down a little bit more. Let's go a little deeper. Let's go back now. So you begin college, your undergrad, since you're your class in high school, it's clear accounting is both your passion and your proficiency. It's where you want to go. Was there any point at college? Was it just that simple that I need, I have four years, I'm going to major in accounting. Were you envisioning maybe finding a big accounting firm to start working or were you always going to get your PhD? What was your, what were you envisioning during the stage of your bachelor's degree? I was going to get uh, an accounting degree, go work for a public accounting firm and be a partner in a CPA firm. That was the plan. Okay. Until I was in my master's degree of getting master's degree in accounting and the department chair came to me and said, would you like to teach an accounting class for us? This is while you're in your master's, in the process of getting your master's. Right. And uh, sure, why not? I had, I had, I was married, had three children at the time. I could use the money and, uh, you know, why not? I'll teach. And I remember I taught one day and I went home and told my wife, whatever it takes for me to be able to do that every day, I want to do. Really? But what that meant what that meant was four more years of university. Wow. So we finished at BYU in August, started at the University of Washington in September. We went to college for eight years in a row. But at the end of the eight years, I had the dream job. Interesting. Now, when you say we, your wife was also going to school or it was a team effort to get you through school? It was a team effort. She worked harder than I, I worked very hard, but she worked harder than me because we had three children Mm. and she, she, she did the most important job there is, which is raise those three children. And while I was getting my PhD, we had two more children. So I graduated from the university of Washington with five children. Wow. Were you working at the time as you're working on your PhD? Uh I was, uh, I was a teacher. Uh, an adjunct professor at a community college up in Seattle. And I was teaching a class at uh, University of Washington. And I was also an accountant for a small firm up there. So I I worked and went to school and had an adventure. And after eight years, we finally graduated. Wow. Let's go back one more time. This very first class that you taught, at the end of the class, you just, you knew that you had to keep doing that. What was it yeah. that spoke to you so much? What was it that made you fall in love with teaching? Uh, I think to help people to, to realize you have a gift to make things simple mm. and to see the lights go off in the classroom as people get it. 
I mean, until you've experienced it, it's hard to see, but I mean, you can see expressions where you can see when somebody gets it. That aha moment. You're standing up there looking at a sea of faces and you can see, boom, they got it. Boom, they got it. I mean, if it were flash bulbs on a camera, it would just be a strobe light going all yeah. the time. That's cool. So that, that's quite a rush to, to participate in helping somebody say, oh, I get it. Hmm. Well, if you, if you don't mind my saying, I, I haven't personally had the chance to be in any of your classes, but I do have several uh, peers who, who have, and they all, I think, I, I know, have benefited from that skill that you certainly have. Do you, so in that case, after one class, you realized, again, passion and proficiency, teaching was something that you both felt the passion and proficiency for. Yeah. And I was able to teach something I was good at, accounting. Yeah. And the nice thing about teaching accounting is people don't have high expectations. <laughs> they think, oh, accounting, this is going to be torturous and boring. So the bar is really low. Yeah. And when you come in and you far exceed the bar, people think, wow, that was magical. Mm-hmm. So it's a combination of things. One, you're good at it. But two, they didn't expect that much to start with. Yeah, I like that. Because it's accounting for crying out loud. Yeah. <laughs> Well, there you go. You picked the right major, the right, the exactly right subject. Right. As luck would have it. Yeah. Yeah. Hmm. Can you think of any, I, I talked, so I talked to a lot of people about stories like this and looking back, it's really easy to look back and say, oh yeah, at this moment I knew. And then over the next four, eight years, it was as simple as working towards that objective. And there was never any, never any doubt. But sometimes in the moments, it's a lot more of a roller coaster than that. It's not quite so clear. It's not quite a, a direct line. Were there any moments when you had these doubts like, man, I, I don't know if maybe a PhD isn't for me, or maybe I made the wrong choice, or maybe this, this would probably be a lot easier. Were there any moments that where you felt kind of pulled from your initial objective? I don't think I ever process? had any of those. I don't think so. Uh, it was hard. Sure. And there were days when you thought, am I going to be able to make this? But I never thought of grabbing a parachute and jumping. I mean, yeah. how could I settle to do something that I wasn't that excited about? Right. So, yeah, it, it was hard. There was Getting a PhD is one of the hardest things I've ever done. But it was worth it. I knew it was going to be worth it because I'd get to do something that was I was excited about. So... It was hard, but we can do hard things. I like that. So then tell us about, you graduate from the University of Washington. And did you immediately begin teaching at BYU? Yes, I I graduated, came back to BYU, and I've been here for 32 years now. 32 years. And is your brother, so your brother is also an accounting professor at BYU. Mm -hmm. Was he, is he older or younger? I actually don't know. He's older than me. He, we graduated a year apart, uh-huh. and then uh, he went to, he started out at the University of Arizona, then he went to Rice University, then he went to the Hong Kong Institute of Science and Technology. So he spent 10 years at other universities before he got to BYU. So I've been there 32 years, he's been there 22 years. Got it. And how has that been working side by side with your brother? That's the best thing ever. Is it? It actually is the best thing ever. Uh, for heaven's sakes, don't tell him, but man, it's the best part of my job. <laughs> okay. My lips are sealed. That's cool. Yeah. He, uh, 
it's 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 quite satisfying to do something you love with your brother. Hmm. Interesting. So before this interview, I I try to talk to a lot of fellow students and ask them if they have any questions that they like asked or that they'd like uh, to discuss. And one that I thought was interesting, and I'm curious to see what your thoughts are, is I had one person tell me that they've struggled with, they called it sort of this cycle of negative inertia. So especially in the business school, there's this need to have experience to get experience. If I want to get into this big firm, I need to have landed this cool or this really exciting internship. But in order to get that internship, I need to have this kind of experience to get in there. And it just seems like this really tight cycle that's hard to break into. Do you have any advice for students on how to break that negative inertia? Uh, my opinion is a lot of that negative inertia is in their head. Okay. They, they, they put up these obstacles that aren't really there. Sure. But, you know, it's like climbing a hill when you're at the bottom of it looking up, it's pretty steep. But when you get to the top, you say, well, that wasn't so bad. A lot of times we talk ourselves out of doing stuff. Yeah. Uh, I think the truth is, and I've taught my career at BYU, so I can't speak to other universities, but you're smart enough to get in the accounting program or the business school. Sure. You're smart enough to, to do well. And we always think, Oh, I've got to get the next step just right. And the truth is you don't. Oh, I've got to have an internship at this company. Or I've got to have an internship. Hmm. Now, what, what recruiters, at, at the end of the day, what recruiters want are smart people who can work really hard. Put your head down, get through your degree, work really hard, show uh, as a result of your efforts, show that you're intelligent and that you can work hard. They'll buy you. They'll hire you. It's not as critical to have this internship to, you know, to go to point A to B to C. Get in there, put your head down. And at the end of the day, you'll pop out and people will say, I want somebody who's smart and can work hard. Here they are. Interesting. I really think there's a lot to be learned from. I The way you tell your story that it, a lot of us really try it when you're in the thick of it, when you're in the middle of this process, it's really easy for it to seem insurmountable with a million different options, so much confusion. But the way you tell your story, I really think it can be as simple as this really is what I want to do. And I'm going to, it's going to be hard, but that doesn't make it wrong. And it comes down to the simple matter of putting your head down and pressing forward and saying, this is my objective. That's, that's that, that's what's got me where I'm at is I just work real hard. I think that's very clear. I'm not the sharpest pencil in the box, but boy, I can work hard. And it turns out there nowadays there's a lot of smart people, but somebody who'll just work real hard, that's 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 a little bit more rare commodity. But mm -hmm. if you could combine the two, if you can be kind of sharp but work really hard, the market values that. And, you know, you can stand in what they call the messy middle and say, oh, man, I got to do this and I got to do that. You can worry the fun out of this. Mm -hmm. But, you know, just put your head down. Do what, do what you can to control what you can control. And what you can't control, don't worry about it. 
If you can't get that internship, that's all right. Do what you can do and then make the best of that. And what you'll find at the end of the day is most of those things you were worrying about weren't worth worrying about. Hmm. But it's easy for an old man who's 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 got a lot of runway behind him sure. to see that now. But the sooner you young people can learn it, the better. Sure. Most of, as as uh, a church leader once said, uh, sometimes we get caught up in the thick of thin things. Mm, I really like that. Uh, Neil, Neil A. Maxwell, uh, an apostle in the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, we, we can get caught up in the thick of thin things, and we spend a lot of time there. Yeah. And we think everything, you know, the faith we have on Sunday, we forget about on Monday, and we think we're on our own. Yeah. But we're not. Our job is to do our best. Our job is to strive. And if we've done our best with a, with a pure heart, it's going to turn out all right. Turns out we're not going to be abandoned by heaven just when it gets hard. It turns out when it gets hard is when heaven works the hardest. Hmm. That's powerful. I, I like that a lot. <laughs> I want to ask one more question about advice on approaching school. I, this is one that I was excited to ask you. I've actually had, you've, you've advised me personally on this before, and I've gone back and thought about this multiple times you have told me in the past the importance of approaching school as a way to learn to think systematically. There are a lot of people, especially more and more, it seems, that argue that school is no longer a necessity to achieve certain things in business or whatever it is your career goal may be. And so there are those that would argue in favor, those that would argue against uh, the importance of school. And personally, I really think it comes down to the way you approach it. You can, it can either work or not work for you, depending on how you approach it. I'd love to hear you elaborate a little bit on how you can approach school so that it really does, you're able to get the most out of it. Yeah, I think to use a computer as an analogy, if you're going to school just to fill up your hard drive, well, we can upgrade your hard drive. Sure. We're going to school to upgrade our CPU. So we're going there to learn how to think. If all you're doing is learning facts and figures, I can Google pretty much any fact and figure you've got in your head. So if all you're doing is using this as a storage device, you're not gonna get much out of it. But if you're, you're approaching every topic with, how am I gonna upgrade my processing unit here? How am I gonna be a, a crisper thinker, a cleaner thinker? Uh, then school is valuable. So. Yeah, if you're going to school with the idea of I'm just learning a bunch of information that's not going to be relevant, yeah, you're probably right. But if you're going to school to say, I want to, I want to hang out with smart people and learn how do they think and how do I think better? How do I use information to make better decisions? If you're just going to school to learn how to get information, I agree, it might not be the best use of your time. But if you're going to school to learn how to use information to make better decisions, that's, I think, where school can add value. Again, it's the processing unit. It's not the hard drive. That's a really good example. That's a really good way to articulate it. What is your opinion? Some would argue that 
there are certain career paths where it's the degree is not not worth the time, but there are much better ways to go about it. Where do you fall in that camp of a degree is worth having no matter what, or it depends on what you're doing? Do you have strong feelings on that? Well, I think students should look at the, at where the end of the degree, degree takes them when they're standing at the start. I mean, it's exciting that you want to make, I'll, I'll make up an example so we don't offend anybody. Yeah. Actually, what it's, if we, uh, I mean, maybe make it even more, I would love to use my example. So I'll, I'll tell you, maybe this, and maybe this is the reason that I fixate on this a little more than most. And so I'll, I'll put my story out there. Um, my, my goal has been for a while to, to be an entrepreneur, to have control over uh, time and location to, and be my own boss. And so I'm finding, especially in the entrepreneur world, there's a lot of gurus out there that have, that say, you know, you got to drop out of school and, um, school is a waste of time. It's not, it's not worth your time there. The skills you need to learn are better by going out in the real world and doing. And so for me, um, yeah, it, it's, it's constantly, a. I go back and forth a lot on is school really something that, and, do I just need to approach it better the way you're explaining more systematically and learn the important lessons there? Or would my time be better spent out um, in the real world trying things? Well, you can, you can Google job data. Yeah. Find out how much money people who graduate from college make versus people who don't. Sure. Google that. What you'll find out is there is, there is a premium for college education. Right. Now, there are also premiums for majors in college education. So there are a lot of gurus out there who will say you don't need school. And, and for some people, they're right. But for some people, they're not. So to me, uh, you, you as an individual have to decide, do I want to take the risk? School makes things less risky. You can always be an entrepreneur with or without school. Sure. I, and I shouldn't say always, but you can be an entrepreneur with a degree. You can be an entrepreneur without a degree. Which one has the lowest variance? Which one, which one increases the likelihood of success? Sure. I would argue that it, uh, across a big group of individuals, a college degree will help you more. Now, there are exceptions. If you look at a normal curve, there's always the tail. So you'll right. always have people who didn't go to school. The Mark Zuckerberg and that made it out big. of Harvard. Sure. That's right. And they'll be in the tail. And the danger is we think, well, I'll be in the tail too. Hmm. Well, everybody can't be in the upper tail. That's why it's a distribution. Sure. So it's just it's just a little more risky to go it without the tools you might pick up in college. Sure. I like that Again, a lot. A, a college degree doesn't guarantee it. It just increases the likelihood. Now, if you major in uh, flower identification of the Wasatch Mountains, <laughs> if you're standing at the start of that major saying, what am I going to, you should ask yourself, what am I going to do at the end? Sure. And if there's not a big opportunity set, you ought to think about, should I even start down this road? Mm -hmm. uh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to major in early morning bird calls. Well, what are you going to do at the end of that? Sure. You know, if you pick accounting, for example, that's what I'm familiar with. 
if you pick accounting, you have options at the end, identifiable options. But if you've majored in, in uh, early morning bird calls, your opportunity set at the end is not that big. And if I had one wish, it would be that students at the start, when they're saying, I'm going to choose this as a path, I wish they would look at the end and say, what's my opportunity set when I graduate? Yeah. Now, you don't have to, and again, to use accounting, just because you major in accounting doesn't have mean you have to be an accountant. There are other things you can do with an accounting degree. But there are some uh, majors where you don't have a big opportunity set at the end. And I wish students would think about the end while they're standing at the beginning. That gets back to your, uh, I'm three and a half years into my degree, should I change my major? Well, sometimes you're close enough to the end that maybe you ought to just get your major or get your degree and then start in a career and start picking up skills. You know, rather than say, okay, I'm gonna go back, take two more years to finish this. Right. Uh, if you're close enough to the end, get your degree, get a job, and then prove that you're worth the company investing in. I, I always tell students this, your degree will get you your first job. You will get you your second job. Mm -hmm. So get a degree that will help you get your first job. But after that, you know, if you're not good at what you're doing, nobody's going to say, ah, they're not good at it, but they do have a degree. But they do have a degree, right. What what's more likely is they'll say, well, they don't they they have a degree that we're not interested in, but man, they work hard. So let's take them. Yeah, that's cool. I like so, that. So again, you, you, your degree gets you your first job. You get you your second job. Yeah, I, I really like that a lot. One one thought that's come to me as I've as I've listened to your response for, for my personal situation, I think that what you were explaining earlier that picking a goal and just because it gets really hard or it seems more challenging or might seem like a path of more resistance doesn't necessarily mean that it's, it's the wrong way because an easier path comes up. So for me personally, that, that comes to mind thinking it, if it makes more sense to get a degree, the reason it, it might seem more appealing is it, it, it likely is the easier path, but that doesn't necessarily make it the more compelling. And I think that's really good advice. I like that a lot. I have uh... I had a son, I have seven children, six went to the university, one did not. And the one who did not was quite successful, quite successful. Went on to be in a tech company, running a tech company. And he'd be the first person to say, I was fortunate. And anybody who looks at me and says, I'm just gonna do what he did. And he, he said, there are too many breaks you have to have. Sure to get to this place. And so his counsel is, if you can go to school, go to school. Now, some people aren't cut out for school and that's fine. Interesting. But just because it's hard, doesn't mean you shouldn't do it because it turns out you're gonna run into hard everywhere. Yeah. Hey, I'm, I'm not gonna go to school. Well, guess what? You're still gonna run into hard. But hopefully school will have prepared you with tools and with abilities that will help you deal with hard. But if you think I'm going to avoid school because it's hard, you're not going to, you may avoid school, but you're not going to avoid hard. Yeah, absolutely. That's great. I really like that. 
Do you have any personal methods or strategies when you run into hard hard? You're no stranger to hard. And you've talked about that you have the ability to work hard when necessary. What are some of the things you think that enable you to work hard? What's your, what's your strategy for approaching? This is going to be really hard. Uh, break, take the big, take the elephant, break it down into pieces. Mm-hmm. You know, I can't, I can't climb Mount Everest, but I can get to this. Yeah. And once I'm there, I can get here. So I tend to break hard down into little pieces. I do little hards, big hards are too hard. Sure. But if you break it down into little hards, so I, I'm just, again, I'm very systematic. Here's the, here's the mountain I have to climb. Step one. Sure. Step two, step three. If you look at step 10, that's too hard. And then step one just is give me step too one. much. You're so overwhelmed that yeah. you can't even take step one. That's right. So I just, I just say, well, I'm going to do step one and then I'll do step two. And I also, I also say to myself, and I say to myself, I say this to myself a lot. Anybody can do easy. The market doesn't pay a premium for easy. That. People who can do easier a dime a dozen. If you want to differentiate yourself, you develop the ability to have discipline and work through stuff that other people would say, that's too hard for me. The market values somebody who says, I will do hard. Yeah. That's an important, that's an important thing to remember. You've just got to train yourself to say, if it's hard, I, I always say, oh, this is hard. Well, that's my test. Because it's not a test to do easy. Sure. The test is to do hard. That's great. Hmm. Thank you for sharing. So tell me now, I would love to hear, you've now been a university professor serving and blessing the lives of students for multiple decades. Can you tell us about any particular stories, uh, meaningful moments that focusing on teaching has enabled you to really change or bless the life of somebody else moments that stand oh, out sure uh the best part is the best part of being a teacher is what happens in your office during office hours really yeah because students come to your office and it turns out they don't have questions about accounting they come to your office to have questions about i'm at this decision point or i'm struggling with this part of life it's when you help people through that i can help anybody through accounting but the, the, the satisfying moments are when somebody says, I'm struggling with this, and you get to help walk them through uh, a dilemma that they're facing. So the best part is uh, when you help somebody with life. Turns out accounting, I tell students all the, all the time, uh, accounting is interesting, but it turns out I, I, I used to love accounting. Now I like accounting. I love influencing young people for good. I just happen to do it with using accounting as a vehicle. But the, the satisfaction doesn't, if, if at the end of my life, all they do is say, man, that guy could teach accounting. That would keep me kind of empty. <laughs> but when they say, nobody ever writes me five years after the fact and says, hey, loved how you taught me accounting. Yeah. But they write and say, man, I, I loved how you changed my life when you said this. I get a I get an email from a gentleman regularly for about the last four years. 
every time he finishes the Book of Mormon, he writes me a letter, uh, an email that says, hey, I just want you to know, based on what you said, I've started reading the Book of Mormon, and it's been four and a half years now, and I haven't missed a day. Wow. Uh, that's satisfaction. And I'm sure he knows his accounting, but that's not the important thing. Hmm. It's uh, it's how you help somebody live a better life that provides satisfaction. I think something that is worth pointing out that's standing out to me from that is that your decision to push through the hard things and become proficient in this hard skill of accounting has put you in a position where then you're able, that becomes a channel for you to reach students and That's right. help them in other areas of their life. If the fact you may be a great uh, counselor advisor on these other big questions that students have, but without this skill in accounting, you wouldn't have the same channel or the same platform to be able to reach and have such a powerful influence on these students. I, I think that's right. And the, the lesson that I've always, uh, that I'll talk to people about is there are a lot of accounting professionals who wish they were accounting professors. There aren't a lot of accounting professors who wish they were accounting professionals. <laughs> How interesting. And the, the choice is those of us who are accounting professors were willing to work hard when it was hard, when we were young and starting a, starting a family. And that was a hard road, but it's a bigger payoff. At least for me, it's just been a bigger payoff. I, I wouldn't want to be anything else than what I am in the career that I am because it allows me to influence young people for good and teach a little accounting while I'm at it. Yeah. That's powerful. Hmm. So I think the takeaway, one of my takeaways is if you want to be able to live a life full of service and helping others, it might seem counterproductive at the time, but developing a skill, becoming professional at something really will, when your sincere desire is to bless the lives of others, will eventually put you in a position where more and more you're able to reach and bless others, serve others. Well, yeah, it turns out uh, Heavenly Father is going to use you and the tools that you have. So acquire good tools and he will use them. Well put. He, you know, he's not going to let you go to waste. If you've got skills and abilities that he can use, he will use them. And you think, well, what does accounting have to do with building the kingdom? It's not accounting. It's the way this thing works up here. He can use a systematic thinker. He can use a critical thinker. He can use somebody who can do analysis. And he can use somebody who, who works here, who has a heart that, that desires to touch people. Yeah. So he, he, will, use, he will use your skill set. So get a good skill set. I like that. One question that I always ask, and I'd love to know your thoughts. So the president of the Church of Jesus Christ at one point, Gordon B. Hinckley, he once said, one of the great ironies of life is this. He who serves is almost always benefited more than he who is served. Can you think of any ways that this irony has proven true in your life? Uh, yes. Now it's a point of selfishness. 
I love doing what I do because of the feeling it gives me. Yeah. And so while I help others, I feel great about it. I mean, I, my heart is lifted when I lift other hearts. Yeah. It's uh, yeah, but that's the nature of service. It turns out uh, who learns more when they teach a lesson, the student or the teacher? Well, the teacher does. Who learns more when they provide service, the person who receives it or the person who gives it? Well, both. But the person who gives service or shares an act of kindness, they are better as a result. So, you know, you you don't do it for selfish reasons, but it turns out you benefit. Absolutely. I love that part. I love that too. That's important to remember. Hmm. I think that is a fantastic note to end on. Do you have anything else that you'd like to add or share before we close? Uh, I would just tell young people this. And from the bottom of my heart, worry less, enjoy more. Mm. We worry too much. Worry less, enjoy more. I like that. I, I, I have been told by several students of yours that you frequently counsel them at the end of a class period on a Friday afternoon. Don't go home and do accounting this tonight. Make sure you have do something fun this yeah. weekend. Don't sit at home and do make accounting. Me- make memories. You're not going to have... You know, make memories. They will help you through the hard times. I love that. Okay. Jim, thanks again so much. I really, really appreciate it. It's been my pleasure. Thank you. Thank you. That's great. Okay. All right. Do your best to edit that and make us both look smart. (laughs) I'll do what I can. 